Hey, everybody. Welcome to Big Blend Radio. So our first Friday show is always dedicated to the parks and the arts. And that is with our friends at the National Parks Arts Foundation. And I encourage you to go to their website, nationalparksartsfoundation.org. Today uh, is all about music and um I think I can't even tell you how many interviews. It's kind of crazy. It just happened. But it is basically New Music Friday. And we're celebrating music uh, because really music makes the world go around, right? And today we're going to be chatting with acclaimed singer-songwriter Lisa G. She is awesome. Her new EP is out. It's called Shut It Down. And it is out and produced with Carmine Apice. No, I hope I actually pronounced that correctly because when we interviewed you him... Did. Year or two ago, I had it down until halfway through, and then I screwed up. But welcome, Lisa. How are you? <laughs> well, thank you. I'm doing great, Lisa. How are you doing? Doing good. I had to go and rewatch that video clip of you know they did that spoof on his name with him in it about yes. trying to get his name correct, and I had to rewatch Isn't it. That great, love it. I love that. So and now <laughs> it was fun. And I did that before his interview with us. And because he did an album with Fernando Perdomo and he came on with that and um, we had a great conversation. It was fun. Um, and everyone, I'll yeah. link that from the show notes. So you can you can keep up with Carmine, too. Um, and he even told us how to take care of our car. It was great. <laughs> so he I, is I don't... a wealth of knowledge on so many levels. <laughs> But he he kicked ass on drums with this, you know, and and you've been. Oh yeah, I, it's interesting because I know the first single is on this, right? And shut it down. I mean, he really that when I say kicks ass, that that you can hear him really go f- to town on that uh, song yeah. on the EP. But love thing, um, that was that the beginning of the EP and working together. Yes, as a matter of fact, originally we were just going to do a single together. And we did that, and we had so much fun with it. I didn't realize, I mean, trust me, Carmine Apice is a legend. You know, I mean, he, uh, we're talking, <laughs> he was friends with Jimi Hendrix. I mean, and he he was, um, you know, a oh, mentor Fudge, to John. Uh, Rod and Stewart. But, yeah, a mentor to John Bonham of Led Zeppelin. That's some <laughs> pretty heavy-duty stuff. Yeah. He's worked with Buddy Rich. I mean, this guy is a legend. So the idea that I got to work with him was pretty amazing. And I was a little nervous at first, but he's such a great guy. We're like besties now. We talk on the phone all the time. He's just the coolest guy. But when we did this together, um, you know, I always knew what an amazing producer he was, but he just blew my mind with this. And Mm. so I thought, I asked him, you know, do you think we could do some more stuff? And he's like, oh, God, yeah, let's do it. And so we just kind of continued from there. But Love Thing was the first one we did. I I love that. I love the whole EP. And I'm just bummed that it's not a full length album. Quite honestly, that's just that's my personal thing is like, I just want more. And I love to hear a woman sing with conviction because you can go you could go right into like even heavy metal with your voice. And you've got an r- incredible range but you're not overdoing the high pitch and you've got that earthiness at the same time and the vibrato in the middle. Like you've got like a temperature gauge that you know how to manipulate. You got mercury girl. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. But I tell you a lot of it, you know, was um, Carmine in terms of Hmm. his production of me. And he would say, let's back off the vibrato here and let's, you know, make it stronger here. Give me some growl over here. You know, he is so So he's got the whole thing. I mean, he knows vocals, he knows guitars, he knows drums, he knows exactly what he wants on bass. And um, I, the our bass player um, is a guy named James Lomenzo, and James is the bass player for Megadeth, and yeah, he was also the bass player for John Fogerty. So I mean, he has a Damn. wealth of experience. How do you go from Megadeth exactly to John Fogerty? That's crazy. Like, well, that's crazy, right? It was, but it's it was kind of interesting when I first met him because Kenny Arnoff, who was the drummer, of course, for uh, John Cougar Mellencamp for thirty years, and then was with Fogarty for thirty years, yeah, and uh, is now with Josie Satriani. But he was the mm. one who turned me on to James Lomenzo, and I remember um, hearing like he was with. Uh, uh, Slash's Snake Pit, and he was with, again, you know, Megadeth. And I remember asking James, well, you know, you, you do 
Megadeth, why would you want to work with somebody like me? He goes, I love the kind of music you do. And he said, there's bread and butter. And, you know, he's so great at heavy metal. He, I don't know if you've ever seen him on stage, but he is a monster, a mm. monster on stage with Megadeth. So he loves it all. He can do any kind of music and it surprised me. Wow. I, 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 I love these collaborations, you know, and I know that there's, you know, there's bands that are like, we're married for life, you know, which I, I appreciate. And because I, I mean, we've had our band and uh, years and years ago and holy hell, like, I don't, <laughs> that that's like, that is a marriage, but with multiple people, I don't know if I want that again, yeah. but I loved it. And it was like a love hate thing. Right. So you're always playing these. Mm-hmm. And then if you want to do something new, it's like, um, how are the dynamics before I try to present something, especially as a woman, right? As a, you know, front yeah. person, it's like, oh no, like, and I was so young and so naive and, and I don't even want to yeah. use the word naive, but I just want to say I was really dumb um, at that point, <laughs> but I could write and I could sing that. I mean, I, and I know my music, yeah. you know, that, that was the thing. And, um, and Nancy, uh, mom here was keyboardist, like, and don't mess with her. She was a teacher of music and wow. art and all yeah. of that. So she knew her stuff and she would sit there cause she can read music and you'd have somebody going, well, no, we do this and this and that. And she's like, no, musically, you're a hundred percent correct. And it doesn't sound good, be- but you're not getting why it's not sounding good. You don't understand. And so that's why I wanted to touch with you because you're a multi-instrumentalist, uh, not just an amazing vocalist and songwriter, but a multi-instrumentalist. So to learn to read music and does that help you if you did or not? Well, the interesting thing is my mother was a classically trained pianist. And so Ah. when I was a little kid, I said, mom, I want to play piano. So, you know, she set me up with lessons and what was then called harmony lessons, but that was actually music theory. And that's what they called it for a six year old at the time. So I went into that and I hated it. I hated it. But at that point, um, it was a time in history where one's parents decided, you know, that you were going to follow through with what you started. And while she wasn't, um, you know, aggressive about it, she just said, trust me on this. You're going to thank me for this later. So I went through it until I was 14 years old. And I have that base. And that base, my brother is way better at the theory than I am. So if sometimes if I have issues, I'll go to him and ask him for his advice. But um, it is amazing what hmm. you can construct in terms of I actually write classical music, but it's because of that. It's because I had that theory. Um, hmm. And it helps me just with a general understanding of things like literally vocal harmonies. Um, and how to put different instruments together. You know, you grow up with orchestras. Um, but yeah, so that was a huge thing. And I come from a very musical family. My mom, my brother, even my sister to some degree, while she didn't do it as seriously as my brother or myself. Um, hmm. But we come from a musical family. And uh, yeah, definitely the theory helps, but I do a lot of it by ear as well. Mm, that's where, yeah, Nancy's very... Um... She learned all of this, you know, and so when the band drama would start, she'd go <clears throat> here and it would diffuse all of it. She's like, you, cause you, yes. you've, you've got to go back to you because I mean, you can break all the rules. Absolutely. But if it's still not making sense and, and you know, it it's not. So it was, it was a very interesting dynamic, especially cause we were the two women and the rest were, we had like, I think we had a nine piece band at the end of the day. At one point, wow. and, and it got a little crazy, and then everybody broke up on stage, had a big drama, and then I went off and oh. played with other people, and and had a um a different journey, which really made me have sure. to step up, which was good, and played with some bigger names and stuff. It was great, but it, you know, I think that's an interesting thing being a woman too, um, in the singing and in the music standpoint, you can be looked over or how do you balance that? And you know, we've done so many music interviews with uh, female musicians, vocalists, songwriters, and some are like, man, it's like been hell. Some are like, you know, I, and I, you just get seasoned and know how to deal with it. And um, tell us about your journey as a musician and a songwriter and an amazing, you know, vocal. I mean, all of it, right. You have all of it. How do you battle the BS? I mean, do you, have you felt any BS 
as a well, as it was a woman. actually it's interesting. Um, it's not just as a woman, but it's also mm-hmm. um, it's very cliquish. I don't know if you have that experience, but you know if you're trying to play locally, um, you have basically promoters in the area, uh, some of whom favor certain bands. And you really have to try to, it's a challenge. You have to try to overcome that. And it was a very difficult journey for me in that regard. But, you know, my brother and I um, started our first band, uh, I think I was in maybe fourth grade. But I've been writing since I was four years old. That's when I wrote my first song was the age of four. It was four chords, awesome. four words, and I was wow. four years old. So I had four. No, four but that four chords, four words. I mean, that's a song right there. That's a song title. Yes. Like, <laughs> four chords, four words. But yeah, so I've been writing for a long time. And my brother and I are sort of differently abled in terms of how our brains work. And um, my thing is I actually think in terms of music so if I see something on the street it'll be oh there's a bird and all of a sudden a song happens (laughs) it's like I'll I'll have to remember and I go rushing home and I I write it down but I think musically and uh so that's where it all Hmm. kind of started but from there it is weird and it it, I it still happens where you know I I will look at something and a a melody will come into my head or a chord progression and I'll just remember it in pieces and I'll put it together later. As a matter of fact, love thing, parts of it were from, um, I think when I was about eight years old, I had this melody in my head that went, and I never turned it into anything until like, 30 years later and then I patched it in with something else that I had just written and so mm-hmm. I have all these pieces and then I put them together over the years but that's how I do my writing um, as far as as you call it the BS and it is it's very difficult A to be female in this industry and B I, again I don't know if you have this experience but in terms of the kind of clickishness in the area mm-hmm. you have to figure out ways to kind of get past it and so what my brother and I would do is we would find smaller venues to play mm-hmm. that weren't necessarily connected, but that's how we kind of got known in the area. Cause sometimes you have to be able to write, get past that um, and kind of, um, you know, make your own path. And it can be a little yeah. complicated. I don't know. Did you have that same kind of experience? Well, it was kind of weird because we did, um, we had a band that, they were good. And then we had some people that just weren't as good quality. And then we kept the drummers were coming and going. The drummers were the hardest. And um, we had a loyal bass player that that just kept growing. And it wasn't like if someone needed to grow and they were ready to grow and wanted to grow, then let's go. Um, But the, if the attitude was wrong, no matter what it was, I mean, some people walked in with an attitude and an audition and it's like, get, get out now. You you could see all of us with, you know, there was like the core of us and then we needed, you know, these others. And if they were like that, we're like, get out. Um, But I didn't, I'd come from uh, living in, in growing up in, in South Africa and Kenya and England and coming over here young um, in my teens. And I think I was just turning 20. And in South Africa, I was always doing music in some form and started taking over in a band. And I mean it, taking over as my my ex-boyfriend was a drummer. And I was like, and he was singing and I'm like, you suck. Like, you need to move on. Let me just finish this. <laughs> and then the band was like, oh, we can do something now, you know. And I'm like, yeah. And then that didn't last in the relationship anyway. It was like, that was it. Because oh apparently my attitude sucked too. But I, I was ready to boost him out, but I wanted to check out the band first, you know? So it was like, oh, you, you got a cool band, but you suck at it and your drumming sucks. Um, and you really can't sing. And so, but the band could do something without the drums at that point, you know, just even just getting things together. And, um, and then we had to leave. South Africa was going through its turmoil and, um, being American, we needed to come home and we did. And, I started playing in Florida. I started playing, um, oh God, one of the first things I ever did was play with a guy called David Goldfleece, which was the bass player of later, late seventies, early eighties for, um, the Ullman brothers band. And he's oh, like, wow. He's like, you can sing, but I don't see anything special. I'm like, well, 
you know, I had my little comment back and, but people did. And I just kept going. I didn't, because he was a little bit of everything at that point. And he was doing so much as a one musician, like a busker almost like, you know, with the drums, the, you know, you play the bass, all of that, that the soul was missing to me. And I was like, let me just sing. I can do that. You know, no, I am it, you know? And so that didn't work. And I also wouldn't do anything other than that. And so I had to move on. And in San Diego is where I found my roots and strength. And um, our band, it was clicky. Candy Cane was huge at the time when we were a band in San Diego. She was huge. She was a blues singer that went more burlesque in the, in later life and, and uh, good, but I didn't, I, I always, I'm a big blues person and didn't feel like she had that, it was just different. Let's put it that way. There was a difference, but there was like, Oh, we, you know, we've, and Michelle Lundine was a really big, and she still is there, but it was like, Oh, we only have two. Like they told us that with our magazine, we already have a magazine. We don't need more. Like, we're like, what? So (laughs) when people say stuff like that, we just kind of go, right. Oh, it's time to do it. (laughs) Apparently everybody's kind of stuck into the same thing. So we did. And then eventually when I, the band, like had their drama on stage I went off and played with people from Flying Burrito Brothers Moby Grape and stuff like that and learned um as a solo didn't you know cleaned up my act got my songwriting together but our magazine really kind of took over everything and when our gigs came from our clients which were street festivals and all that we all our clients for our magazine we were in print way back when you know and i'm talking a long time ago and so they were our clients and they would hire our band and then we found out half of them were on drugs and like oh god oh. so so <laughs> yeah. it was a different drama and i was really pushing doing originals and once the band thing ended i went off and did my originals and had to do it on my own and learn right there yeah. in front of the audience that was the best learning ever so it's not it, over it is, for me it? but yeah. you know but now I can listen to music like yours and I have a huge appreciation for what goes into it and the back, like the, you know, the starting ground, like you're saying from four years old, I understand how much work goes into it and how like a song can stay and keep playing in your mind and your heart until it's got that place. Like, Oh, now here it is. I get that. And it's so like when people hear a song, they sometimes don't realize how much has been part of that. Like how much, right. <laughs> goes into that one song that sometimes it just flows out and it's written, it's done. It's like, like this, here's this magical instant, you know, song, but it's not, and, and that doesn't come from, there's no such thing as instant music like that. It could just channel and you got it down and it all worked out magically, right? That happens, but none of that magic works without the work before, you know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, yes. um, that work comes in so many different forms. Again, whether it's sort of a musical structure or whether it's an actual experience, something that's happened to you. Um, mm-hmm. And that's where most of my music comes from is actual events that have happened. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's not events that happened to me. It's events that happened to somebody else and I can turn it into a song. Um, I did a song, at, at which I'm going to be recording. Actually, I recorded it with Kenny Arnoff, maybe Oh, six years ago, and it's a great song. It was a song about that horrible event that happened in Vegas where there was mm-hmm. a shooter. And there was a story, right. I get choked up even thinking about it, that was so yeah. moving to me where um, a woman uh, and her husband went to see the show and the shooting started and her husband shielded her and he ended up dying. It, it was just, it still chokes me up to think about it. And I wrote a song about that. And it's uh, one of my favorite songs that I've, I've written. And, but it's hard for me to, to record it further because it, it is so emotional. And so, mm. so many songs come from these places of emotion. And some of them can be fun and frivolous. And some of them can be deeply intense about experiences you've had with other people. But all of that matters the subject Mm. matter, the actual musical structure, and um, then the production, you know, so there's all these different components. And, you know, here I am, I'm not a kid anymore. 
and I wish I had had access. And you know, you yeah, you but you know how to wear ponytails. No, wait a minute. You know how to wear ponytails. <laughs> I'm coming to you for that. Well, I don't have balance. <laughs> I'll hook you up. I will hook you up. <laughs> Sometimes it takes a few tries, but uh, <laughs> yeah, but, but you experience kind of the same thing, right? It's like you learn on stage as you're mm-hmm. kind of growing up. And I look at some of these artists who um, were lucky enough to have access to people like, say, Carmine um, when they were young. So they, they learned a lot of these lessons sort of in turbo mode, where you and I actually learned it from you know, brute force experience. Standing yeah. On and stage. also and we didn't have Google. That, we didn't have Google. No, we didn't. We didn't have internet. You're right. And it's amazing how people can write songs at this point by just like telling AI, you know, write a song about me. this. <laughs> right. right. I know. Me too. But, but the thing is, is that you, you, when you told me that really hit a chord with me that somebody said, you know, your voice is nothing special. First of all, what a thing to say. Second of all, it moved you to do other things. I've had that experience too, where people have actually told me I was terrible and mm-hmm. it hurt at first. It was like a knife in my heart, but I thought, you know what? You don't like it, but this person said that they do like it. So mm-hmm. it's all kind of a matter of opinion, right? But you had the same experience in terms of, you know, having to kind of be in the trenches um, with this stuff and have to deal with um, people's different tastes. And then the way they present that to you, because yeah. as far as I'm concerned, if somebody doesn't like what you're doing, okay, then don't listen, but you don't have to be yeah. mean to me. <laughs> then why are you having me on stage with you? Right. Why did you need me? You know, yeah, was it just cause exactly. I was a blonde and at that time, you know, pretty skinny and doing my thing or was, you know, cause I was 20, <laughs> you know, um, there right. was there, but at the same time, I also didn't know who the Allman brothers were. So <laughs> because I didn't. Wow. You've got to think. <laughs> this is was 93, 94 with him. And Damn. by the time we got to this country. And yeah, so the music thing in South Africa was later then. I can't keep up. But we didn't, you know, we all our stuff was English coming over to South Africa at the time. And so coming over here, I didn't quite know. Now everybody knows the Allman Brothers over there and everything. But hey, we knew Rodriguez before America knew. Like, don't screw with me on that. That was... That was my soundtrack to high school and everything. And this country yeah. didn't know who, you know, Carl Rodriguez was. And I was like, what? You don't know. And then, oh, we found him, like whatever, you know, um, and rest in peace, the, the Sixto. He was awesome. But it was really mm-hmm. a weird thing because then here you go to San Diego. And so I'm like, all right, all right. Well, he, he just fired me up to do more. I ended up singing in a madrigal band, I auditioned and I won the part and I couldn't believe it. I just sit with this lady who played on an auto harp. And then one lady tested me out on a piano where I had to read music and sing like, la, 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 la. And I'm like, Oh, I can't do that. That's not me. No, I did choir in school, but I read it. I had to read the music to sing it like actual notes and do the la, la, la. And it scared the hell out of me. I don't know why I did it, but it was after all of that. And they're like, no, no, we want you. In. And I'm like, hell to the no, I'm out. Of, I'm not doing that. I can't do that. I can't <laughs> yeah. even wear what you're asking me to wear. I'm not, you know, but it, I think that's an interesting thing about how you can have all these negatives, you know, and it is about if you really believe in yourself, you, you keep moving forward, you know, um, and like I've taken a little detour on this. I interview musicians all the time and I love it because I'm so excited about the music. Yeah. I have a deep appreciation, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to do it. I've, I've a, you should see what's in the storage unit of music, you know, but it's about finding wow. the right people yeah. to work with. And part of this yeah. wonderful experience has allowed me to meet the people that I want to take care of the music in the way that I believe it is. And, and for me to learn how to actually communicate what I want. So talk a little bit about that for your experience of taking your songs and explaining what you want. Do you record it out and then show, Hey, Carmen, this is what I have. Um, and if they change it, like understanding the changes, like, you know, like an editor goes in and cuts the babies out of the author's book, half <laughs> the manuscript. Well, let me tell you something. I, when I met Carmine and I, you know, I got so lucky that it just, I just look at 
kind of the planets aligning. And, um, you know, it's hard when you have somebody contacting you out of the blue um, that for them to be interested in you. And so I had to kind of explain mm. my history, and then he decided to give it a shot. But knowing who he was and knowing what he did with Vanilla Fudge in particular, you know, I mean, he took these songs and he turned them into something really unique. And what he said was, you know, what are you, what are you going to do? You're going to duplicate the song exactly. Why are you even bothering? And he said, you have to make it your own. And I, everything I've ever written has been on a piano or an acoustic guitar. That's it. And so mm. prior to working with, well, first Kenny, and then once I got to Carmine, you know, I explained to him that I had worked with Kenny and, you know, I, Kenny would just, I, he's always been saying, well, what would you want me to do? And I said, do what you want. I want to give me whatever you feel like doing. That's what I want is to hear what you want to do. Same thing with James. Here's the song. Make it happen. My guitar player, Don Mancuso, he's amazing. He is, he is the heart and soul of my music. He gets me even when I don't get myself. So he has done so much. I think the sound of my music so much relies on Don. He is just, just, just the, the, as I said, the guts almost in the music. But when D, as I call him, Don is D. But when D and I decided to kind of see what Carmine had to do, my, my attitude was let go, let Carmine. <laughs> and so I just said, okay, here's an acoustic version of the song. What do you think we should do? Mm. And he just did it. And so I never really, it's like the stuff that I had, I'm not, I think, musically experienced enough with electric guitar, although I can hear in my head what I think I might mm -hmm. want it to sound like. I want the expert to, to you know, I want this collaboration. Exactly. Yeah, that's, these, you have to sit back know? on ego. I think sometimes when you're, yes, um, exactly. I think what's yeah. really hard is when things when you're working with the wrong people and you have to fight to get things to where you want it, you know, you want this song out, right. In a band situation, right. Then it's, you have to use your ego to put yourself out front, but then you've, you're, you're in that mode. So you're like a train coming in and you may yeah, have made yeah. your point and then they go, okay. And then it's like, all right, everybody shut up. It's my way or <laughs> at this point because there's still that train moving on. So it's really hard to like, okay, got it. Now pull back. And that comes from maturing right. life, right? And age and, and experience and doing it and working with other people that comes, but it's so hard to, or you get that opportunity, then you shrivel up out of like, yeah. you know, this is such an internal process. So there's a thing I think for getting it out there and that communication and understanding, like if you're, you know, what you're, you're dealing with Carmine, I mean, come on, um, a piece. See, no. I can say it now. I've got it down. You can. She said it, you so it, she's girl. helping me. <laughs> but it's true when you work with the right people that will guide you and you're open to the guidance. And if you have that open yes. door, even if they're guidance, you go, you know, that really isn't what feels right for me. I think there's a, there's a, it's, it's how the communication happens and respect. I think respect. Well, is I have to tell you when you're dealing with a legend like Carmine, and I mean, first of all, not just a production level, but he's, he's the most amazing drummer, you know? Yeah. I mean, if and you look, everybody, to go back to Vanilla Fudge. Down, I just want oh, people yeah. to understand. Go yeah, back yeah. to like Vanilla Fudge and go back from that level because he understands working like the full piece frigging band, like all of it. I and mean, Rod Stewart, all of it. But like he understands all of it. And if you're the bass, well, bass player you, and drummers, they're the, they're the foundation of all of it, period. Completely. You know? If you listen to him and Beth Bogart in a piece, yeah. wow. I'm gonna Some of the that. stuff that they do in there is just wild. And if you listen to what he did with my song, Shut It Down, the mm -hmm. opening is this just it's insane. monster. That's what I was saying. Like <laughs> he's, cool? he's like, that's what I was saying. Like he is a badass, right? That I also, oh, yeah, I, totally. I want to go to love thing because you know i was watching the video and i know you make videos too and i was like god yes because so you've got like and i was watching the video i'm like you are i can't wait to talk to your one trippy chick right i was like god <laughs> she's a you know she rides her motorcycle everywhere like that's cool 
you know, and because it's like, oh, you know, she's not going to go, you know, rape, pillage and plunder the bar. <laughs> you know, she's not one of those. <laughs> but um, but she's a badass. Right. And but and I was li- listening and watching your videos and I'm like, OK, this is crazy. Cool. So how much of when you're writing a song, do you ever see the visuals of the video first? Like, does that ever like does like a video idea spur the writing? Never. And as a matter of fact, the video part of it, it is, it's, it's, um, it, I have to trip over things, I guess is the best way to put it in order to figure out what I'm going to do. So I have to kind of look at the logistics of everyone and, and what we've got. And my videos are kind of funny at at this point, they're getting like, (laughs) it's crazy because James is so busy. He's always on the road with Megadeth. Always. They are always touring. So yeah, I have this are. one piece of footage from him and I've had to use it and incorporate it in every video. <laughs> and so people have a certain style, right? So they have certain things that they do, certain say progressions or scales that they do. And so I'm always able to take this footage and find a spot for James, you know, okay, well, I'll put it here. But the funny thing is, is every video he's in the same outfit, <laughs> he's in the same room, blah, blah, blah. So I had to start adding color. So I would add color or I'd add, mm-hmm. put him in a circle or something. And that's how the video would develop. It's like, okay, I'm going to put James in a portal. Okay. Now James is in a portal. Now everybody's in a portal. Is that, so oh, I see. So that's how that video, I love that video. And then you have the yep. mouth and I was like, oh my God, this is a trip. This is such a trip. I love the that mouth video. mouth was so funny the way I had to do that. If you had seen me, you would have died of laughter because what I had to do was I had to take green face paint and paint my entire face green and put on this crazy lipstick. (laughs) And so when you see just the mouth, the rest of my face is there, but it's a green screen face. And then I would put different patterns on it. And finally, I think I landed on like either, uh, I can't even remember what, I think it was hearts, little hearts. (laughs) I had to do it in a certain light. So when I did it, I was sitting on my back porch and just praying that my neighbors wouldn't look out. <laughs> That's and funny as hell, man. With this yeah. green face and these big red lips. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm please, you know, please, Lord, don't let anybody come out of their house right now. You and know, that's how I had to film it. And that's what the lips are. But, but your, your, that video <laughs> reminds me of, like, it made me joyous to watch because it took me back to childhood in the 80s when we had videos come out, like music videos. And yes, I, there's, yeah, that's what it was. The 80s, the 80s were some really weird times just in how things change in our world um yes they and, sure were weren't they and and when i go back to it though i was like videos and like nancy and i will sit and we have music nights and watch music videos and like oh i want to see this person it has to either be a music video or live right when we do this weird game we play on youtube so that no one you know we don't like i get the next three songs thing right and she makes <laughs> videos and she gets she's she's oh, weird yeah. She does a lot on, um, she's done a couple of things for musicians, but she does a lot of the travel stuff, but she always adds some weird thing in there, man. There's always like all of a sudden a cat meows out of nowhere. Like if you see a duck and it's <laughs> not even that. quacking, you'll hear a quack all of a sudden will wake you the heck up. You know, she'll do, she does this weird, <laughs> everybody knows. And then some of the travel writers we work with, they're like, oh, we got a weird thing for Nancy. Like they go and literally find a weird thing for Nancy to use. And then oh, she'll make, fun. I love that. it's it's hysterical. So she does that. But, but I go back to the music videos and that's where, you know, love thing got me. I was like, oh man, this is, this is like my childhood. And, you know, when Peter Gabriel started doing things and then just all these yes, bands yeah. started getting like, remember even yellow with, oh yeah, all of that, yep. the weird videos that started happening and how much work, especially then, because we didn't have what we have now, tools wise, you know, no, all these, yeah, yeah. but what they did then to make videos, which were far more fun. And then all of a sudden videos got super boring in the nineties. Sorry, but it yes, sucked. I thought they did. I thought they did. They too. sucked. And it's only now that we're yeah. starting to get new videos that, but even still you have one, you have one of the coolest videos I've seen in a long time. Damn it. Someone thought and got creative and had fun with it. And I was like, 
dude, this is some cool stuff. But then we didn't in the eighties rocked it and they didn't have everything we have now. Like, come on, people, go yeah, look at was... Lisa G. Rocks. Go on YouTube. Oh. Go watch this. <laughs> if you're into videos, like honestly, people, I'm just saying. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little hyper about it, but like why why do a video <laughs> if it's gonna be boring? You know? Yeah, and that's do something that's my weird. whole thing is that they have to be interesting. And so it starts out with me standing in my green screen room kind of whimpering and sobbing, going, What am I gonna do now? I, I'm run of ideas. And so the last one I did was shut it down, and that is the video that I am most proud of. That video has my most complicated um effects and it was it it was so much it was so difficult to put together but the end result worked out and it worked out so much better than I thought it was going to and it's super fun and it's super weird and I love it so I'm very proud of that one and I like um, automatic reaction that one they just released Mm -hmm. that Wednesday this past Wednesday and I like it yeah, everyone's got to get on board, like Lisa G dot rocks, and that's G E E. Lisa G dot rocks is the website, and from there go to YouTube and everything on that. I want to ask you about motorcycle riding. Where do you like to ride? Like, what's your inspiration, and does being on the open road help you in inspiration for music? Um, it does at times. It was very different years ago. The pandemic has really thrown a wrench in the works. I used to ride with with friends many of them unfortunately over the years have passed away and so i've i've lost so much of my my group but Mm. we used to oh we used to go everywhere we would go camping and we would just go to festivals and drive all over the place and i would meet all these fun crazy interesting people and you know you do jams and open mic nights at bars and you know i'm not a drinker or anything but i would go to the bars just for the music Mm-hmm. And uh, so for me, I just, I had a riot doing that. And I started writing, oh my gosh, it was, I'm going to age myself here, in the 80s. Actually, it was in the late 70s. <laughs> At that time, I was the only woman around who rode motorcycles. No, you just didn't see it. As, and as, as your I own ride. woman, your own bike, not yeah. like you're on the back right. with the guy yeah. riding it. Okay, that's a big difference. No, as a matter yeah. of fact. That is the reason that I decided to ride on my own was because I loved being on the motorcycle, but I didn't like the way other people drove. So I had a boyfriend at the time when I was young, and he um, he was very hesitant to teach me how to ride because I think he thought that it would give me a kind of an independence that he didn't want me to have because I was oh, young you know, and I was yeah. not with the right guy. So he didn't want that. And uh, so he finally begrudgingly agreed. I got myself a tiny little motorcycle so I could learn. And uh, he was supposed to teach me. We got into a huge fight and he didn't want to help me anymore. So he put my motorcycle out in the uh, alley and said, fine, you want to learn how to ride? Go ahead. Here's your keys. Ride at home. And I said, well, I know how to get it into first gear. Well, it took me an hour to get home. And boy, I was young and gutsy back then. The idea that I actually got on this thing and, and tried to do it like in traffic. By the time I got home an hour later, I knew how to ride. And from there, I was like, well, I don't want to ride this little bike. I'm getting me a big Harley. And so I got me a 1980 80-incher, which was a 1340, which back then was the biggest stock engine they made. And um, so I love that. I still have that bike. I call her Lolita. Lolita. Oh. Yeah, because she's a low rider. Yeah, she's a low rider. And so I'm Uh, Lolita. (laughs) So you don't have a dirty good diaper in your in your garage. <laughs> just just I kidding. I do not. But <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have to do a show on that one uh, in, in the future. Yeah. But um, but now, what about Indian motorcycles? Like, because you know, I have my Indian. Yeah, my Indian's a 2016. And um, oh, wow. back in the day, I used to covet the um, the vintage Indians. Those things were the most beautiful, mm. badass motorcycles you'd ever seen. And don't get me wrong, I love my Harley. I'm a Harley girl, born and bred. But there's something about an Indian. It just exudes just class and history. It's just the most gorgeous bike. And I love this bike that I have. And um, her name is Delilah. (laughs) 
And uh, oh, I love so, I love that you name them. Number one, that's important. Oh, yeah. No, no, Delilah. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Do you sing to her like Tom Jones <laughs> voice and everything? I sure do. Oh, you have no idea. I'm a huge Tom Jones fan. <laughs> well, she's but, a Welsh um, Indian then. <laughs> she's a Welsh Indian. Yes. <laughs> But she Gosh. has the most beautiful bike I've ever seen. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Lolita. And she is, Lolita is the badass. That bike has so much torque. Mm. I mean, it's, it's just amazing. You get on that thing and you gun it and you're gone. But, but do, do you get down and get greasy cruiser. with them? Do you work oh, on yeah. them? Oh, sure. Well, so you understand the parts the and Indian, stuff? Oh, totally. I actually used to, I remember replacing the regulator on Lolita um, I can't do like, you know, like the crankcase or anything. The stuff is too heavy and I'll have to, you know, but certainly, you know, I, I would wrench my bike and I would wrench other people's bikes back then. Wow. Back in the days, because back then it was kind of plug and play, right? I mean, you would take mm-hmm. a part off and you'd put the part back on. Now it's different. Now it's, computers now it's screwed. I know. Now I'm thinking yeah. to get like, I was reading an article because, you know, like our, you know, we travel the country full time. And a RAV4, everybody thinks we're in, you know, an RV. And I, I tell people, please, we need something that can't be a low rider because we go down stupid roads and, and she's a little jacked up and, um, you know, wheel suspension wise, everyone not jacked up any other way. And we, <laughs> because we'll see a road and if we do all these wildlife refuges, we play out in swamps and stuff. And she's not four wheel drive, but we actually managed through some snow stuff that is probably not great about the undercarriage right now um but her she has a name mulva cleopatra doppelganger and um, <laughs> no, name. mulva comes from seinfeld if you remember the episode of him not I remembering sure his do. girlfriend's name <laughs> yes, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> that was hilarious <laughs> and so she's she's a badass but i was reading this like today i'm like you know i was taught like how to do like I check oil like the other day I had to check oil because like we were in the middle of nowhere and I'm like, she needs an oil change. So I went and bought oil and I'm not going to do an oil change. I thought at least top it up or have something fresh. And then I went and did it. And Nancy's sitting there looking at me. She's like, you don't remember shit, do you about how to do this? Because it's, you know, (laughs) everything is so um, computerized. And I was reading today that I could get like a computer thing to plug into the car myself and get the information I need. And not just rely uh, on people telling me. But then I go like, it's such a, like, I miss the days where you could change a tire if you needed to. But we can't just change a tire anymore on the side of the no, highway. No. No, it's so complicated. And you almost wonder, did they make it that way so, so that people have to rely sure. on Sure. And I hate that. You know, I loved, as I said, particularly with the motorcycle. They could do it with cars to some degree. But I always had... Um, boyfriends who were like mechanics, mm-hmm. so I didn't need yeah. to. But with mm-hmm. the the motorcycles, it was different. My before the Harley, I had um, a Triumph Tiger, which is a British bike. So I'm sure you saw those growing up. Um, hmm. And mine was a green and and white Tiger. It was a gorgeous bike, but it only was a kickstart, and it had a magneto, so it was a little bit different, and it was a lot more complicated to fix. But when I got the Harley, you know, which was much bigger. Again, plug and play. You would take a starter off, put a starter on. As a matter of fact, to this day, I still start the bike with a screwdriver to the starter. And I, you know, hit the solenoid <laughs> and it'll fire up. Because, you know, rather than going out and bu- trying to find a new starter at this point for a 1980 motorcycle, it's not easy. No. So, uh, I mean, I'll just keep yeah. starting it with a, with a screwdriver for a while. Well, <laughs> but that's kind of fun. That's, you know, that's, oh, yeah. got, that's, that's character, right? And that's the thing. It's like, True. you know, being able to do your your tires and stuff like that I felt like you were more connected to cars like or your bikes you know all of it to me like in and when a car goes away like if it's time that time I ball like a baby it is it's like losing a, a I pet. Do too. it's, oh, it's yeah. It, yeah. because you communicate and you're one on the road like this is it we're doing this together and I I we used to have horses so I kind of feel like cars and bikes and all of that you're they're horses they're still living i yeah. believe so and i'm I, a weird horses yeah sure yeah yeah exactly i'm weird that way like i have this relationship in this psychically yes. weird i'm weird i can't <laughs> explain it but like i can't like i don't know what's going to happen when she has to go away and i've held on to her she has a yeah. cd player that girl is staying around for a long time 
for that. Um, <laughs> and I'll, I, you know, I, I just, I just want to be able to do things. I want that power of being closer to be able to do things a little bit more, but it's not there. And she's what a 2010 go figure 2010 yeah. rep four. And I'm holding on to her and people, I have so many people like, you know, we pet sit across the country. Guys come out like, what year is she? I'm like 2010, what's her miles? And she, they're like, keep her, keep her. She's good. You got to yep. do your maintenance. I'm like, I did my maintenance. I am, I am. I do the maintenance. And, you know, now I know she's got it. She's got tired. Like she's got, this is coming. I know. Dang it. But like, and then I talked to her. I say, okay, like it's, she's going to the doctor. I tell her like, you're going to go in. They're going to give you some new oil. It's like, you're going to get your hair done. And then if it's brakes and tires, I'm like, listen, you're getting new shoes today. It's going to be very nice. They're going to take care of you. I'm right outside. Like I'm pathetic. <laughs> Is that pathetic? That's pathetic. It's adorable. And I love it. No, I actually do that too. And I mean, that's why I still have my Harley. There's something about, I don't I know. Mean, I don't think I I've could had actually that trade her in. Over, yeah. No, I, I and I, I hear you. I've had my bike for over 40 years. I'm not getting rid of her ever. Dang. Dang. I mean, yeah, that's pretty, yeah. that's pretty intense. So now what do you think about being able to play music on the road when you drive or ride? Excuse me. Let me get it. Straight. Well, you know, it's going to be interesting. I suspect it's going to be, you know, once again, you know, trying to logistics of, as you and I have talked about before, leaving your house, leaving your pets, you have to make sure everybody's covered. And, um, then, you know, as, as you develop, I guess, and buy more equipment and stuff, can't put everything on the bike. <laughs> so yeah. I'll be driving across country, though, when I do. And, uh, uh, you know. But do you listen to music when you when you are on your motorcycle on the Indian or which one? The Harley? No. You get to hear music. I, no, because I don't like the, the Indian is huge. It's a full dress. So that's a big bike. And if I wanted to put on a radio I could but I'm a purist and I hate kind of adding aftermarket parts to stuff mm -hmm. so we won't do that on this bike mm -hmm. um and of course in I remember getting pulled over in Chicago once on my Harley and I said you know why are you pulling me over and he goes your ears and he kept pointing to my ears he goes your ears and I'm like what what's wrong with my ears and he goes, you're listening to music. And I'm like, I am not listening to music. And he goes, isn't it headphones? And I said, no, those are my earrings. You know, of course, I'm wearing spike heels and a skirt. My purse is in my lap. <laughs> sure oh, my God. My this is hysterical. Yeah, oh, my well, God. I mean, I, that, at, at one point, my motorcycle, Lolita, was my only mode of transportation. So if I was going out somewhere to a club or whatever, I'd dress up. I'd wear heels and skirts and whatever that's funny and as I hell and hair home. and pigtails yes, right now yeah. Yeah, yes, but, but that's, listen listen your cops in the midwest need to slow it down a bit okay indiana oh, like yes, they do <laughs> dude you guys have these these in the cornfield areas i got pulled over and I, I keep saying to people i got pulled over in a cornfield and i did and it was because they went from 45 to 50, 55, 40. Like they kept doing right. this every block of cornfield. And I'm going, dude, your cornfields are putting me to sleep on top of this stuff. What are you doing? <laughs> the guy pulls me over and I saw him. I'm like, damn you. And he was hiding behind this barn thing. Like, really? <laughs> I mean, that was that even private land. Did you get, are you paying the farmer to like park your little vehicle over there and then come flash? I was like, damn it. Here comes the lights. I hate it. And I'm like, damn it. And then Nancy thinks it's hysterical. She laughs for everything. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, do this. Do. And she's like, ha ha, you got caught. I'm like, what? And then he comes up and he says, you know, do you know why I pulled you over? I'm like, yeah, I realized I was going like four or five miles over the speed limit. And he goes, what, what was the speed limit? And I said, 50. Apparently, um, it was, no, I said, 55 or something. Anyway, I was going 10 miles over, apparently or something but he they just changed the thing but he let me off but i've got a indiana warning so now like uh. every time i go to indiana i just like i am the little old lady from pasadena who but right. she doesn't i am and i'm like i don't care i don't want to be pulled over because i have the cleanest record nope. i will not and i do get in trouble and it's music that always gets me in trouble i start playing music and i'll get it louder and louder and i will just you know, music saves Blast me on the road. I drive, I drive along with trucks as much as possible, but because they're yeah. good guiding, some of them, some of them are not, 
But um, yeah, music is everything, but it will give you speeding tickets and your, your EP um, shut it down is one to get speeding tickets. And that's how I rate music. It's speeding <laughs> ticket worthy. And so your EP is speeding ticket worthy. So uh, it's been so much fun, Lisa, to have another Lisa on the show and, and one that is badass and music and all kinds of other things in life. I encourage people to go to Lisa G rocks dot, uh, dot rocks, excuse me. So it's Lisa G and it's G E E Lisa G dot rocks. Uh, before you go, I got to give a shout out to the national parks arts foundation, uh, they are awesome. So what they do is they have these amazing programs for artists, musicians, songwriters, photographers, filmmakers, you name it, where you go as a residence, you can apply to their amazing residencies where you apply and it goes through a jury thing and all of that. And if you win this and you go to not win, but you get it, um, you get to be in a national park unit for a full month to create um, and there's events involved and working with the National Park Service. It's a very esteemed and amazing program. Places like the Dry Tortugas, uh, which is in the Florida Keys, where you get to be on your own island, your own key, loggerhead key. You have to take someone with you because it is that remote. You have to bring your own food in for a month. It is that remote. You're off grid. You have one of the researcher cabins. And you're on an island for a month. There's places like Chaco uh, in uh, Chaco Canyon up in northern New Mexico where you're with all these amazing ruins of the indigenous people, the ancient indigenous people who created these perfect circles of these, you know, they're not really buildings. You, I, you don't know until you go there. Then there's Hawaii Volcanoes National Park that has its own house, art house, that's six bedrooms with a recording studio for musicians and podcasters alike. Seriously. And their families can go. This is the coolest thing on the planet. So nationalparksartsfoundation.org. We love doing shows with them. I want to ask you, Lisa, before you go, if you were to go to any park in the world and just go for a month, you know, not talking about just the parks that I was mentioning, just a park in the world where you could go create and perform even, where would you go? Probably Joshua Tree. Ah, it I used to live out there. Glory, did you? Yeah, I've only been through it once, and it was just magical to me. Loved it. Lots of music history there too. Yeah, lots of music yeah, history. Yeah, I love that. Ooh, Absolutely yeah, love it. But yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, very cool, very cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, National Parks Arts Foundation, and thank you, audience. Keep up with us at BigBlendRadio.com. Thanks so much, Lisa. Thank you, Lisa. Take care.